Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to uh, gain recognition as a great resource for small business owners, entrepreneurs, sales professionals, uh, and just business leaders of all kinds. This is really because of the guests who join me. These are folks with expertise in um, areas of business. Uh, you know, they, they have a particular area, and they give of their time and their knowledge to join me in a conversation to help all of you do better things in your business. Um, depending on what information you need. Today is no different. Today my guest is Jennifer Damata. For over 20 years, Jennifer, founder of Damata Consulting, has helped direct-to-consumer brands with the Damata Method, a process which fosters aggressive sales and profit growth by helping companies build a financial foundation, design expert strategies, and empower talent. Jennifer encourages brands and retailers to diversify and control their brand destiny by strengthening their direct-to-consumer growth plans. Jennifer also serves as a mentor who helps women gain confidence and courage within the workplace. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jennifer. Hello. So great to meet you and so great to be on this podcast today. I am so thrilled to have you with me. We're going to be talking about e-commerce, which is a big topic, and I feel like getting bigger all the time, and then the challenge becomes it is possibly more confusing for people. <laughs> <laughs> it yep. is so much more a thing, right? Right. So, so talk to me about this growth method. What, what are the tenants? of the e-commerce growth method that you have? Yeah, so a little background. Um, I have been in e-commerce for 20 years and you know, I was pretty lucky. I was in marketing in the 90s, but um, had and ended up volunteering to set up a website in the mid 90s when I don't think anyone really knew what was going on or how impactful this would be um, by any means. And I think it took a long time for that to happen. But from there, I've been involved in one way or another in e-commerce, digital marketing, and omni-channel. Um, I started leading e-commerce uh, departments and teams in the early 2000s. So I also have about 15 years of experience there. And then uh, a little over a year ago, I opened up my own firm. And a big reason why is because I spent those 15 years really honing a growth method. Um, and I have, I'd spent uh, the 15 years, six companies where I grew in the high double digits or triple digits of growth, but not just revenue growth. It was all about also sustainability and profitability. Um, and so I took, I really honed that method. I, co I constantly was tightening it, tweaking it. And um, now I've got to the point where I really have a method that um, I understand. And it's, it's really almost basic. And at the same time, it's something that I am helping several clients with today that uh, are super strong and have super um, wonderful business models, amazing products and services to sell to their consumers. 
and just need a little help on the respect of e-commerce and digital. So the Demata method uh, brings in the approach of pulling together what I would call the four P's, people, purpose, plan, and a P&L. And so first is people, and first is always people. Uh, yeah. it, it, it always is. And that is where um, you really look for people who are energetic, motivated, smart, and really have the capacity to, to do some great things. That is super important. And then on top of that, the leaders are the people who are the motivators, keep in individuals motivated. Now, what do you keep them motivated on? The leaders really have to have a strong purpose. It's important. Um, I see this with every employee engagement survey. What are they sometimes missing? They're sometimes missing an understanding of what the purpose is or what the vision is. And uh, that is something that motivates employees. It's something that motivates uh, and brings teams together. So it brings people together into one vision. And so I've always kind of honed in on how do I make sure that this purpose is really valuable for the, for the individuals that are on the teams or the individuals I work with. The third is the plan. So what's the plan to get to that purpose, to really serve that purpose? Um, and this is where you can really engage the people because they love helping you design the plan. And the plan gets very specific. So the purpose is up in the clouds, but that's important. You need aspiration. Um, the plan gets down into the details. It's essentially a who, what, when. And that is very critical. People um, are always looking for clarity on how they're going to get to that purpose. And then they're even more motivated by it. And the last and, you know, it's really super important is the P&L. So it's the financials. It, how is this plan and this purpose going to help you get to the financials? Those two things have to be so tightly linked or something won't happen. Either the plan won't happen effectively or it won't come out effectively by looking at the financials. Um, and so I help my clients today work on those foundational principles. And I often spend anywhere between one and two to three years on these things. Sometimes this is kind of a marathon because it's the foundation of business. There is growth while we're working on these things. It doesn't stay static by any means. Um, that's not my personality. <laughs> I'm very aggressive. That's why I work on aggressive growth strategies. Uh, but at the same time, it's, making sure that you understand with total clarity and total aspiration how you're going to make aggressive growth happen. And then you're governed by how happy are your people and how well are you hitting your financial targets. So I'll kind of stop there for just a second and give a little pause. <laughs> yeah, it's so, I'm so glad that you um, talked about not only um, the purpose and the plan, but making sure that, you know, you have good people, but the people know what those things are. Because so often, I think companies fall down there. They, they assume people know. They, they sort of do this, well, it's common knowledge, of course, that's why we're here. And the problem is that the people really need to be hearing it and seeing the connectivity of all, you know, all four of those aspects in order to be able to continuously you know, know they're on the right path, know that they're heading in the right direction and the leadership needs to know that they know it so they're connect making those connections. That's exactly right. There's nothing more motivating to employees than when they understand and they understand why. They right are so bought in engagements and we we all know i think we've all seen the stats or if not employee engagement is really at an all-time low from last i saw in some of the statistics it's in the 30s so two out of every three employees is not engaged and yeah. some of these very simple things that i believe leaders can do such as just you know have the idea that every morning you want to go out and tell your team 
what's happening and why it's happening. I sat in an executive meeting uh, with a client and these were the heads of the departments uh, a couple weeks ago. And they're kind of all looking at each other going, how are we going to fix the fact that they know what they know, but they, in the, they had just done an employee engagement survey and what came out was they don't understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, and they're all looking at each other and it's like this, this isn't rocket science, but it does. And it's simple, but it's not easy and it takes effort and it takes believing that not just tasks become a part of your day, but what becomes a part of your day is getting out there and communicating the most important things to everyone and making sure you explain the why, because that, that's critical. Most yeah. people say, oh, here's what's going on, but they forget to explain the why. And, you know, a lot of people will nod their heads, but they'll go back to their desk right. and go, why are we doing this again? Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's, um, and, and so there's, there's some tactics we use to, to engage and they're very simple. Sometimes we do a five minute daily huddle every single day. Yeah. Let me tell you what's going on. Anybody got any questions? Is there any lack of clarity? Sometimes we work on um, the any individual actually on the team is out to source information and comes back with that in a huddle. But the bottom line is, is that in order to really see aggressive growth go through that people parts, probably the most important, most foundational. Yeah, I would think so. And, and I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, you know, these things aren't difficult. They, you just have to have a commitment to them. You just have to say, okay, whether I think I should or not, you know, maybe it doesn't matter, but these are the things I'm going to do. These are the ways that I'm going to communicate because then, you know, like I look at it and I go, at least I know I said it. At least I know I said it repeatedly. At least I know we're having this conversation. At least I know, uh, you know, people are participating in what I call a feedback loop. So I'm sure I'm getting information back from people as well because I would think a lot of times leadership can sort of be in a bubble and not know the best solution or what's really going on or how people are really feeling. hundred percent. And that, that is definitely a lot of the businesses who've been around a while, they're a little bit larger there. Yeah. There's definitely a separation between the leadership. And so one of the things I do, um, and cause I'm particularly working with, I have two flavors of demonic consulting. One is executive coaching and the other one is the, the digital growth uh, factor. So I work a lot with the digital teams from the top down. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I did sports authority and I saw the value and I thought this is definitely part of the demonic method is um, I, I hired the team. We got them onboarded, orientated. Everyone was feeling good. And then we started building that top layer, the purpose, which became, uh, for all practical purposes, it became a vision, a huge aspirational revenue goal, a cultural statement, and then the roadmap. And um, I split up the teams and had them each work on each of these things. I, I was in the vision, but I wasn't in the other components. And these teams ate it up and loved it. And they saw how it all came together. And then they went in and communicated this whole thing to the yeah. leadership team to get the, the visibility. Yeah. And a lot of leaders I've seen sometimes get nervous with, you know, am I going to look bad if my team is the one communicating to my boss or the C-levels? And it's like, no, it's exactly the opposite. Exactly. You're going to look great. You're going to look yeah fantastic yeah. and uh, any great sea level and there's many of them out there are going to know that absolutely the best boss I ever had was one of my first out of college and one day he looked at me and he said do you know what makes me a good manager and I said what and he said that I have people like you who know what they're doing so I don't have to know everything exactly and, right right and that was many moons ago and it has stuck with me ever since because you know, one of the things that I tell people is, listen, being a leader doesn't mean that you have to have all the answers. It does mean 
that you have to seek the solutions, that you have to pull in the resources, that you have to engage others in finding the answers and finding the solutions. No one expects you to know everything, but I think a lot of times they feel like they've been given this title or they've started this business, and so therefore they're supposed to be you know, the genie in the bottle and just miraculously know all of the answers and solutions. Yeah, that's exactly right. And another way to think about it is, and I've always kind of looked at this, um, especially with Sports Authority, because I had several levels, but my job as the head of e-commerce and omni-channel was to look five years out. The next individuals below me, directors and senior directors, were to look two to three years out. Their managers were to look a year out and then the entry level folks were to do the day to day. And that started creating clarity for a lot of folks. They, they were like, oh, I get that now. You know, I, I don't have to know the exact details of the day to day. And the trust factors also yeah. grow because everybody has to trust everyone else. And you have to know to hold people accountable to results, not holding people accountable to how to get there. Because yeah. one of the things I say quite a bit is, listen, there's always a hundred ways to get to the exact same result. So if you're not in charge of that specific thing and someone else is, you let them do it that way, but set the expectation of what the result is and the empowerment grows and the trust grows. Boy, no kidding. Right. And you need those things for engagement. And so these are the kind of the core issues I see. Even I have a wonderful client and they have such a wonderful attitude. It, It seems like when you talk to every executive, you would believe they had probably the best culture you could even think of. Um, and there's still, you know, issues like this empowerment and trust. So even if you're a kind individual and this and that, um, are you empowering and are you trusting? Cause that's absolutely core to any given satisfaction that an employee would have. Definitely. Definitely. Wow. It's that is so powerful. Okay. So, um, Let's let's go back to this whole, you know, the P&L and the Financial Foundation and talk some about how a company's financial foundation actually affects its potential growth, the strategies yes. that for growth. Yes. And we went off on a good tangent there with people, but yes, the, the very next most important thing is the financials, right? You're in business or you're not in business because you know how do you manage your financials. Um, financial is very interesting. So I can tell you from my experience, I almost always see the following, that there is one department, most often finance, that draws up the budget for the following year. And when I say budget, I'm talking revenue, expenses, EBITDA, everything, capital budget. And then there's the business teams that are responsible for getting there. And they're doing the strategies. And these two things, the dots are not connecting. I've almost never been in any company, whether I've been full-time or have consulted, where I've seen these two dots connect. Um, so I'm actually working with every single client right now. We're going back and we're connecting the dots between the financials and the strategy, the plan essentially. And, um, the interesting thing is, is there, the other thing that happens is almost always the budget comes first and then the strategy. I highly recommend that that not be the case. You have to draw on the strategies first. You have to know what the impact of those strategies will be and when that impact will happen. And then you can, then the business side needs to be drawing up the first financial budget for the following year. Cause they're essentially held accountable to it. Um, the CFO is not necessarily held accountable to it. They're held accountable to making sure the business people are held accountable. Essentially <laughs> is what they're doing. They're saying, Hey, listen, you said you were going to hit this and you did or did not hit this. Why? You know, yeah. they're, they're not responsible and for all practical purposes. And, and let me caveat this with most of my experiences in retail, 
uh, direct to consumer brands, those kinds of things. The business, uh, the head of that business unit is in charge. So they should be drawing up the budget saying, here are my strategies, here's how it's gonna impact, here's the historical run rate and growth. And they should be showing specifically how those things connect. The other great thing about the P&L, and I always do this in the first 30 days, is I analyze the last two years of the P&L. It is a world of information. You know, yeah. it tells you what's really going on. Your revenue inclines and declines, seasonality uh, often can be an issue, but what, what other reasons there are, accounts may be expired, accounts are growing. Um, the gross margins, and most retailers and brands know this, but the gross margins are incredibly impactful to a business in that uh, industry. So what are the gross margins? Why are they the way they are? What is the mix of products or services being sold? And how is that impacting the gross margins? What are the expenses? What are they as a percent of the revenue? And is that right? Is that where they need to be? Or is there opportunity to adjust those? And some of this takes bringing in like an expert like myself. I could really, um, I've, I've done so many e-commerce P&Ls. I kind of know where things should land in general um, to help guide and say, okay, is this a little higher? Is this a little low? Like you're under investing and, and how would you right size this? Um, and then that has to directly tie back to, okay, that if we're going to right size this, that becomes part of the plan. And so being real disciplined about the, the connecting dots between those two things. It, it's really amazing to me um, that so many companies don't connect those dots and then wonder, and I think it, cre it creates friction internally because the departments are saying to themselves, where in the world did this come from? Right. Who thought this up, right? When it was a financial person, it was numbers, it was math. It didn't have anything really to do with the reality that those folks are dealing with on a daily basis. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's why I highly recommend that the CFO or the head of finance um, partner and ask the business person to draw up the strategies, draw up what they believe their at least top line, at least revenue, um, but top line goals are. But here's the thing, I, I would continue to go down that path into expenses because I almost always say, yeah. in order for me to get 100% growth, these are the expenses that I'm gonna need to do that. Um, and, and the only way I can show, like for example, Sports Authority, um, since it's closed, I can share these financials, but the uh, initial year that I was there and I came in about quarter four of 2013 and um, they were on track to hit the fourth year in a row of 50 million. Uh, we hit more than that, but where we hit was about 75 million and where I wanted to hit the following year was 125 million. So it's pretty significant growth. Yeah. Um, what I had to show was what do I need to do to hit that? What headcount do I need to hire? What marketing expense growth do I need? Um, because I want to show top to bottom that I know how I'm thinking about this. And if you're going to grow at those rates, it's imperative that the head of the business unit is yeah. just totally competent on the financial side, completely competent. That is a key thing of any leader in the business unit where you're holding them accountable is that they know exactly what they're going to hit and how they're going to hit it both from a revenue and expense standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. So these are just disciplines and processes and foundations that um, everyone I think needs. Um, it's great because I also do an assessment at the very beginning with each new client kind of assess the business and part of it's, you know, here's some foundational stuff that needs to be resolved. Um, and then the other part is, you know, here's what you really could be. Uh, th this is what I would see as your purpose and vision opportunity in this industry. And so some of that's uh, super fun. I, I like that. But then we, yeah. we really often go into a contract and the first anywhere between three and six months is super foundational. And it's the hard part, but it's what everyone yeah. has to get down first is the basics. Absolutely. You cannot 
shortcut it, you know. You can't. There, there, there's, yeah, yeah. It's an that's. I, I think it's an important thing for uh, business leaders to embrace. Is it, it's growing a business is a process. Growing it aggressively really is a process, and commit to it because it saves you in the long run. It actually ends up being shorter if you decide to go ahead and lay that foundation than if you have to back up and find it after you've been going for a while. That's right. And I would say that uh, it's a spectrum. So the more aggressive you are in your plan, then you have to balance that out with the higher levels of discipline in how you manage to that plan. So that's a, that's a yeah. thing I live in and breathe on <laughs> yeah. with, with every client. And, and these, again, these clients have great products. They have great services. They have, they have great things to offer the consumer. It's just the foundation that has to be sort of uh, tightened up. Yeah. So would you, like, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, so if there's someone listening and they're thinking, wow, I want to launch part of my business as an e-commerce platform, so I'm just going to go put a store up and go ahead and just start selling stuff online. It feels to me like they have work to do before they go ahead and flip that switch. Yes, absolutely. And, I, and you know, everyone can work in parallel if they can afford it, for sure. Um, and it's pretty cheap these days to put up a website, but the reason it's cheap is because it is a hyper saturated world. You are going to have struggle to get found. It is no longer a world where you build it and they will come. It just doesn't work like that anymore. It's yeah. saturated across all of the avenues where a consumer would find you, uh, Google, Instagram, anywhere. It's completely saturated. And these things now cost quite a bit of money. This is where the expense is growing, is in the marketing world. Um, so if you want to get found, you usually have to pay to get exposed. Now, and then um, on the other side, the, all the product, if you're selling a product and you want to throw something up on Amazon, um, that's saturated. They have a, like a billion, billion products, I think. I mean, they have a really unbelievable number of products so that also takes and this is why they have some sponsored areas because if you pay to play you get more exposure so just like google right. and everyone else uh instagram um, but these things are where your expenses could really go through the roof pretty quickly so yeah sitting down and really thinking about what the plan is is really important and thinking again, going back to that purpose, what purpose do you serve that's compelling to the consumer and that is differentiated from your competitors? Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. I have to take a quick sponsor break and then I want to continue with this. Okay, great. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are Inside Track by uh, Peter Sage, and The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients by David A. Fields. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Jennifer DeMata about the basics of e-commerce, the things that you need to know and do in order to be successful. So Jennifer, I am curious about... Um, on the talent side, uh, mid-level mid talent, it seems like it, it's difficult to develop and find good mid-level talent. And I'm curious about why that is and what someone does to combat it, overcome it, and, and end up with really great mid-level talent. Yeah, great question. So. 
A couple things. First of all, digital and e-commerce, yes, it's really tough. Um, I am sourcing directors and managers for most of my clients. And as soon as I've got my hooks into someone, that's great. <laughs> By the way, it takes so many interviews to get to that point. Never, like, I, I would say never lower the bar on uh, in this area. Never. Um, but then as soon as I get my hooks into someone that I'm like, this person's fantastic they've got three other offers. So yeah. there's very few A players in there. Now, one of the things that I had the opportunity to grow up on, um, because I was in e-commerce so early, no one had e-commerce experience, including really myself. So we were all kind of figuring it out. And what that meant was we weren't sourcing based on experience. We were sourcing based on you, your basic skill set. Um, your, your intelligence level, your desire to do a lot and make a lot happen. Um, things like skill sets, like being data driven, those became very important, uh, as well as your, your general personality, like where you're going to fit into the culture. And I thought, um, I think about this quite a bit when I talk to the clients, I'm like, this, this was a really good, um, start to my interviewing process. Because I think sometimes if you put experience ahead, you're missing some of the things that you should be seeing when you're, when you're doing some interviews. You're really missing who the person is and what value they could be providing. Um, I have a client right now where we're going to source hopefully this really great, uh, like sort of a senior director slash VP level guy. And he doesn't have the exact experience but he has sold me on the background of who he is, the entrepreneurial spirit that he has, the fact that he's disciplined and he's data driven. And I think if you um, open yourself up to look saying, okay, what are these skill sets I would really be looking for? You could open yourself up to a whole world of new opportunities, new candidates. There's, you know, there's other things I've seen and I know you've probably seen this too, as people look for, individuals in certain industries that's a must or individuals with a certain amount of budget management like hundreds of millions and if you haven't done that then you shouldn't be applying for this role and those things to me are very limiting um, i don't know that at the end of the day that you couldn't teach somebody with a high potential those types of things i believe you can and that's i, I have a whole history on that um, so, and I found some of the best employees by opening my mind and thinking differently about, okay, I can source someone who is super smart and who is going to get a lot of stuff done for us. And that can open my opportunities up, or I can sit around and probably wait months and months and months and months for someone with the exact experience that I'm looking for. That makes sense. I think it makes a ton of sense. And especially, I mean, I think at any time, but especially when the labor pool is really tight, uh, but I, I think it's about mindset. I think a lot of times we think that, how do I want to say this? We don't think enough of people. We don't think that people can rise or want to rise to the occasion, that um, people have to you know, walk in the door with that level of knowledge or experience or ability or we're not going to be able to teach it to them. And so I think it's really valuable what you were saying, that if you can find someone who has the cultural fit and the attitude that you can teach them the functions, you can teach them the tasks because they want to learn them. And I think we have to remember that there's a lot of people out there who want the chance, who you know maybe don't have the schooling, but they have the ability to learn and the desire to learn. And they can be some of your best employees. Yes. So that means if you, if for whoever's listening out there is interested in changing kind of that model and looking for new talent, it means changing the questions in the interview process yeah. and spending less time on the person's background, that typical, okay, take me through all your jobs and why you left, et cetera, et cetera. And do that really quickly, of course, it's, it is important, um, but go to the next part because you already know the, 
resume, you've seen it. So now where you spend the time when you're chatting with the individual is on their skill sets, it's on their behaviors, test them, get, make them give you examples and really start to find out if this person is a good fit versus is their experience a good fit? Yeah, I think that is really, really huge. And, and I agree with you. I think people miss out on great additions to their team because they're looking at the wrong thing. Yeah, I think Harvard Business Review put out a very interesting article a few years ago, and it said, you know, basically the hiring needs to change. Yeah. And it needs to change for someone who can do the job to someone who, or someone who can do the job based on experience versus someone who can do the job based on potential. Um, and that's why you see even in some of these uh, leadership 360 studies, they're not just looking for who you are today, but they are, they are predictive studies. If you take a 360 these days from some of the higher end, um, the, the more, I guess, uh, the companies like Singer and Folkman, they not only tell you what's going on today, but they show you the prediction of where you could be at tomorrow based on what is happening today. And that's what you got to look at is who could this person be for us in one or two years versus who are they right now? Yeah. Yeah. I love that concept. I, I, um, I've had clients like in manufacturing who just have a heck of a time finding people. And I've said to them, you might need to change the way that you look at your company and create a training division that is like a farm team. So it's going to have a revolving door. People are going to come in and they're not going to cut it. And that's going to be okay with you because what you're doing is you're finding the ones who, you know, have the right attitude and, and we'll learn it and want to learn it and want to move forward with it. And so you're just creating your own bench, you know, your own talent bench because they're not out there waiting or looking for, you know, that, that job that's, you know, they, they never had those skills to begin with to be able to run that machine or do that function. So you can build your own. You know how to use it. You know how to get that done. You've got people who can train them. That's right. That is right. So why do you think there are brands that struggle to go directly to the consumer? Like, you know, they want to go through distribution channels that, as you said, are pretty crowded these days. Why do you think they struggle with the direct-to-consumer model? Well, based on my experience with my clients, they, um, first of all, they believe it's going to be a higher expense in the end. So the, one of the first things I usually do in the assessment is a high level financial scenario. Um, so they're, the first barrier for them is money. They think it's going to be expensive, but they don't actually know. They just believe that. So yeah. uh, that's the first barrier. The second barrier is the experience inside the organization. Most of the organization's clients I work with right now have no digital experienced individuals. So they really, including their leadership, so they're uh, really feeling like this is an unknown world. And of course, that always holds people back from moving forward. So that's, uh, that's a barrier. And then I would say the other barrier is that they believe there won't be a lot of volume to their website and they can't offer something better than what they could offer by sending their products through Amazon, Walmart, and the several other places you could wholesale to. Now there are different purposes for wholesaling your, your products versus the direct to consumer brand. And there's a lot of articles out there now, so hopefully individuals are getting more knowledgeable. But a couple of the differences are that there is a lot of volume. I mean, uh, realistically, if you put your products, uh, if you wholesale them to some of these larger big box retailers, they have a lot of customers, they have a lot of visitors. So there is potentially a ton of volume. 
the problem goes back to what we talked about is there's also a lot of competitive products. Yeah. Um, and they never, so if they sell products that way, their biggest black hole is they don't know who their consumer is. For all practical purposes, they really don't. They could do macro studies, but they don't have any direct connection to the end user of their product. And the big differentiator right now is when you are able to connect with your end user and get the feedback, you can smarten your future strategies. So those individuals that are doing direct to consumer um, are able to sustain growth and sustain being smarter and better all the time because they have the feedback they need to improve their future strategy. The, and so that's the big, where the big black hole exists for wholesale, but where you get the huge advantage in direct to consumer. The other thing with direct to consumer is you control your brand. And in wholesale, you do not, you don't get to control where you're located, whether it's in a store or on their site. You don't control the experience and you really, from all practical purposes, do not control your brand and retailers for the most part, they want their brand to be front and center for obvious reasons. And so your product is your brand rather than your brand or your product just being a subset of your brand. When you go direct to consumer, which means you have your own, really your own website, you now have, uh, value that you can create in your brand. You can create additional value besides your products. You can create um, content, you can create videos, you can create uh, consumer um, incentives. There's all kinds of things you can start to create now that you have total control of your brand. So those are a couple of the reasons and a couple of the differences between the two. I, I, all clients I work with have both models they tend to not understand in clarity the purpose and how to control both of those models. But as we're working together, they're get, you know, they're getting it because they're really smart and we're just upping the knowledge and intelligence every single day. And so they're start they're starting to get there. So anyone who's kind of at the beginning, that's again, we start with that purpose and we really understand the difference between direct to consumer and wholesale and how to work them both together to take advantage of the growth of sales they could, any company could receive. Okay, so um, I really appreciate that. And it, as you were talking, I kept thinking, okay, when you wholesale, your margin is, you might get the volume, but the margin is so much lower than direct. Oh, yeah. Right? Correct. That I can see the value yes. in both. I just think people should embrace the direct route because, as you said, they have more control over it and more control over their brand, but they also, it's not necessarily more costly because the margin is greater. Yes, and that's often what I show because you essentially double the margin because you're cutting the margin pretty much in half to wholesale it to any of these um, retail outlets and you double your margin. Um, the, the only thing is, is you add expenses. Obviously now you're running your own business end to end versus wholesale. You're only running a component of that business and the wholesaler picks up the other expense like marketing. So, um, the only, the only other thing I would say is because social has become so important these days, many of the brands that I work with were already doing social. So they're already expending um, certain marketing expenses towards social. They're, all, and they're now having to add some expenses in addition to wholesaling to Amazon or Walmart or whoever. They're now adding expenses to that plate because they have to get uh, up there in the results. And in order to do that, they have to pay additional monetary uh, funds to Amazon. So <laughs> it's gotten, it, wholesale's gotten a lot more expensive as it goes online. And uh, yeah. And so when you just get a very clear uh, factual view of the two financial scenarios between wholesale and direct to consumer, the, the whole company and especially the executives, you can definitely evaluate it because now everything's there out in the open saying this is what happens in direct-to-consumer business model and this is what happens yeah. in a wholesale model. And yeah, at this point, 
they may even out at this point direct to consumer at the volume that you want to get it to could get to a higher profitability at least on a percentage basis um, but it's all it, it is different I would say for every client I've got because there's different sure. average orders and there's different gross margins and you know, there's a lot of work in developing financial models, but it's certainly worth the uh, upfront cost to evaluate and see if it's worth yeah. direct to consumer. In every case I've worked with, it is. So I'll say that. Hundred percent worth. That's so interesting. Right. I I, I want to touch on um, something that I mentioned in your bio, which was uh, the mentorship that you do with women, uh, which I, I think is really tremendous. And I would like you, if you would, to share how that really benefits a company and a company's growth to have that sort of mentorship model for women in business. Yes, so I have, um, well, I have executive coaching, but I also have mentorship and mentorship is more on the individual level. So often these, it's interesting. I have three individuals that came to me in some way, shape or form. Usually they find me on LinkedIn and they were in college at the time and they wanted to seek someone with my experience as a mentor. And I still talk to them. I still follow them today. We chat every 60 days and really it's up to them as to what's going on in their lives and how can I help? because I've been there more than likely, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, we, we watch these 20 and 30 years old uh, individuals who, no matter how smart they are, they run into the exact same experiences and perils yeah. that we ran into when we were that age. So um, those types of things haven't changed. And they often just want someone to listen to them, but they do love feedback. I, and so uh, I'll have coffee with them every 60 days. So I've got a group of those individuals. And you know, one of them's even starting her own business. And so we chat um, every other week about what she's doing, how she's doing. It goes back to the foundation you and I talked about is, okay, go, and, and the purpose actually, we talked about purpose last week is, why are you doing this? How are you gonna explain that to your customers? And how are you gonna know if it's compelling? And they just eat this stuff up. So I love giving that time. The other thing is, is I was a guest professor for the last three years at Wharton. And so I pick up um, individuals here and there through those classes that just, you know, they have additional questions or they want to know how do I go find a job for the summer? I mean, they, it's really funny. They ask a variety of questions. Um, so it, it, it's super fun. And like, you know, you had mentioned to me, you learn a lot on this podcast by talking to individuals. I yeah. learn a lot by talking to individuals that are just of such a significantly different generation and I'm also reminded of like, what was it like when I was in my twenties? You know, I forgot, yeah. but they remind me and I thought, oh yeah, that's right. We used to be so carefree. <laughs> the anxiety wasn't there back then. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot I get out of it as well. They think that, I mean, I was talking about P and L's with uh, one of the Wharton school students and man she knew her stuff top to bottom and I thought wow I don't think yeah. I even knew this in college like I don't think yeah, I have any right so um <laughs> lots of great stuff that comes out of the mentorships and then because I've created such great relationships with individuals who've worked on my team over the years uh Blue Mercury Sports Authority Office Depot Hay Needle um I'm just always open and so I've got uh, individuals all the time reaching out to me and I make sure I'm available and really it's for them. So I met with somebody from a sports authority and office depot uh, a couple weeks ago and um, she was just telling me how she is and they're, she's in a business where they're potentially going to file for bankruptcy. So it's not pretty. And she just went part, she was just a part of that sports authority. Oh. So she's, you know, dealing with it again. And uh, really, um, I'm just there for them. This is this part of it. The coaching is more structured, but the mentorship is just me being available for. So, you know, anybody who's listening that wants a mentor and, and to me, it has to be natural. It's kind of yeah. lots of coffee. Let's 
let's chat a little bit, let's see how things are going. And then it will happen naturally as to if we continue to meet and chat. And that's really, I leave that up to the person because I want them to feel comfortable with me first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow, it's so great. Thank you so much for joining me and, and sharing this information. Will you also share with the listeners, you know, how they can find you, what you've got going on? Because I'm imagining there, you know, is going to be a number of them that um, are really interested in continuing a conversation with you. Yeah, I'd love to. So there's multiple ways to get a hold of me. Um, probably the easiest is email. It's very easy, Jennifer at Demata Consulting, which is D-I-M-O-T-T-A consulting.com. Just reach out, just say, hey, heard you on this podcast, would love to chat. Um, you can call me, of course, at uh, 703-570-5545. You can check me out a little bit more if you'd like, either on LinkedIn, you can just look me up, Jennifer Demata, or you can go to demataconsulting.com. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, and I also like to thank the listeners and our sponsor. Listeners, folks, thank you so much for continuing to uh, tune in and listen. And I'm confident that uh, you got some really good information here in this conversation. And if you would like to get a free trial of audible.com as well as a free audiobook. Go to audibletrial.com slash business growth to sign up. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.